Teachers, helpers, thank you for how you serve us. Parents, afterwards, thank them as well, what they've done. Well, good morning, everyone. Your guest, my name is Bert, and I am uh, delighted to be here with you. If you open your Bibles to the book of Haggai, the book of Haggai, and uh, we're going we're gonna to study the whole book. Uh, it's the third from the last book of the Old Testament, so if you start at Matthew, just flip back to there. Uh, if you're keeping track of when we preach through a book of the Bible, you can check off Haggai today on that list. Uh, we're going to cover it all. Um, and we're not going to read it all. We're going to read various passages. So I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open or keep your app up or ready. Because I'm going to have you dive back in and read along with me. And it gets helpful. The eye gates, the ear gates, uh, it helps us to, to learn and to grow. So just as Jace told us, we're on a mission to buy or build or lease a house, a building for the Lord, just like thousands, hundreds of thousands of churches before us. And even we'll see like the people of Israel back in 5th century B.C. Like, like many of these other churches, and many a building plan and fund over the years. Now as we go into our 7th year of the mission, we may find ourselves in a bit of an uncomfortable position. Um, you know, it seems like, it seems like, it seems like we ought to be in a better place. We, we start out really strong, and we've seen every year godly, generous, sacrificial giving year after year, but, but, but here we are, and well, you know, may, maybe we have some questions about where we're headed. Seem like we'd be farther along by now. Seem like we'd have more clarity, at least. Where's it going to be? What kind of building is it going to be? What's it going to look like? Why don't we know that? So today we're going to look to get more clarity. We're going to we're going to look at how God used Haggai to encourage the people then to continue to rebuild the temple, so we can receive comfort and encouragement for ourselves. To continue on our mission. So, now just to be clear, you know, God's mission for building, rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem was different, significantly different than what we're doing in order of magnitude, but also similar in many ways. Haggai's temple was objectively and authoritatively commanded by unfailing prophecy. Very clear. Ours is not on that level, but still we believe the Lord, by His Spirit, is leading us. They face times of adversity and discouragement, and so may we. So we'll look at how God encouraged this 5th century people of God, B.C., 5th century B.C., and how He worked miraculously on their behalf so we can take away encouragement for ourselves. But first, let me set a context for you historically for our hero, Haggai. Haggai was a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah, though you'll realize their books came way earlier in the Bible, before Psalms, Ezra and Nehemiah, well, all they did recorded, now here at the very end of the Bible, we see Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are the last three books of the Old Testament, and all three of them were contemporaries as well of Ezra and Nehemiah, and they were all prophesying to urge God's people to cleanse their hearts to live godly lives while they 
rebuilt the temple, and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. But most importantly, these last three minor prophets pointed ahead to Jesus Christ, who would become the living temple and the city of God for his people. So our hero, Haggai, he first appears in the Bible at a very low point in this process of rebuilding the temple. It's in chapter 5 of the book of Ezra. And as Jeremiah had prophesied 70 years before, at this point, we read in, in Ezra, the people of Israel are beginning to return from exile to the promised land. And who knew? But pagan king Cyrus would make a proclamation to send the people back and command them to build a temple and take all the gold and silver that had been looted from the temple before, gave it back to them and funded them and sent them off to, with a royal proclamation, there was law to rebuild the temple. Amazing, right? So they went back and they began to build. Now years later, years later, The enemies of Israel, if you read Ezra and you read Nehemiah, you realize the enemies hated Israel. They did not want them to succeed. So they sent a letter to the king, but now there was a new king, Artaxerxes. And they said, listen, Artaxerxes, this is not good. You know these Jewish people, they're rebellious. They're just going to strengthen themselves, rise up and rebel against you, look into it. As Artaxerxes looked into it, and in fact, they were right. The Jews were very rebellious, and so he made a royal proclamation forbidding Israel from rebuilding the temple. The people became discouraged, and they stopped. That's the point where God raised up our hero, Haggai. Haggai was not only a prophet to obey God, Haggai had become what we would call a political activist in our day. He called the house of Israel to disobey the order of the king and to continue rebuilding the temple anyway, making the statement that there is a king of kings and he rules from heaven and we obey him and not the king of this land if it comes down to it. So, so of course, the enemies of Israel, they did not dig that. They thought that was wrong. So they wrote to the king again, saying, look, they're doing it. They're they're defying you. But by this time, there was yet another king, Darius. And at that point, it essentially became a legal matter. So Darius said, okay. He did the research, and he looked, and he found back in the archives the original edict from King Cyrus to rebuild the temple. And so he said, oh, All right, yeah. Not only did he authorize rebuilding, he sent more funds. He paid for it out of the royal treasury. Something Haggai, we'll see, prophesied that he would do. Amazing, right? So whether Haggai knew that their civil disobedience would lead to a legal case that would end up being decided in their favor to receive justice or not, we don't know, but that is what happened. So that's the context. We're picking up the story now today at the point where the building had been stopped and before they knew how Darius would respond. And we'll study today the actual record of what Haggai said, which is just alluded to in Ezra chapter 5. And listen, the book of Haggai is fascinating. 
It is really a very cool book. It's actually the most precisely dated of any book in the Bible. You'll see we should read. It's the month, it's the year, it's the month, it's the day, exactly when God spoke these things, when he wrote them down. It's just two chapters long and occurs over four months. And here's why I keep calling Haggai a hero. Not only did he possess great personal courage to defy the law of the land, to obey God, almost broke out into Portuguese there, to obey God, to obey God, he, he actually, his prophecies motivated the people of Israel to do what he said. Most of the prophets were ignored. Some were thrown in holes in the ground. Some were killed. But they listened and obeyed the Lord. And it's amazing. And just like us, God uses the challenges of building a house to purify the hearts of his people. So, We'll consider a few of Haggai's prophetic declarations and a few of the questions he posed in order to look at our own hearts and be encouraged to rise and build. So like Israel in Haggai's day, we can become distracted. So Christ calls us to consider our ways to rise and build his house. So four points. And I have worked hard and contrived to make four alliterative points today that resemble what's actually the text somewhat. Number one is timing. Number two is type. Number three is title. Number four is throne. Four is throne. So, hope you're in in Haggai chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 where the Jews are asking, is this the right time to build the house of the Lord? So this is God's unchanging and sufficient word. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves but no one's warm. And, and he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified. Says the Lord. God bless the preaching and obeying of his word. The temptation Israel faced to put their own personal house and welfare ahead of God's house and purposes is a common temptation. The Bible addresses it often. 
Jesus tells a parable in Luke 12 about a rich man who is so focused on his own prosperity that he built barns and he filled them with the harvest and he laid back and he said, oh, great, I can now relax and eat and drink and be merry because I have all this money put away. God had a hard word for him. In the parable, he says, fool, this night your soul is required of you. These things you have repaired, who will they belong to? Then Jesus draws the conclusion of the parable and says, so it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The house of Israel didn't put first things first. You want a title for this sermon? First things first. Yeah. It's understandable, right? I mean, they tried. They had started out to rebuild the temple, but it got hard. There was uncertainty. Artaxerxes had forbidden them from building the temple, and that money had run out. Like he does with us, God put them in situations to test their hearts. Unlike for the rich man in Jesus' parable, these were tough times for the people of Israel. They, they, uh, they were not quite starving, but there was never quite enough food or drink or clothing. They just, not quite enough, that, that feeling of just not enough money, not enough provision, Well, Haggai explains the reason for their hard times. They weren't putting first things first. They turned their focus away from obeying God to their own needs. God was sending them hard times to draw their hearts back to him. So not understanding that, their hard times were a result of their sin. They started questioning God's timing. Is it? It's not yet time to build a temple. Is it time? It's not yet time. No, I don't think it's time. I'm going to just start taking care of my house. Or perhaps, how are we supposed to build a temple if the king had forbidden it? Let's just wait. Let's just put everything on hold. Or, or you know, how are we supposed to build a temple if we don't have enough money? It's, it's going to be more expensive than we can ever afford. Well, really, what they experience is not unlike what we face. In those days, however, if you didn't have money, you just suffered for the most part. Uh, you, you just, you know, didn't have anything you could do about it. In our day and age, when there is more month than money, more month than paycheck... We just put on a credit card, right? All too often, Americans are living paycheck to paycheck and in debt. 2023, the average American carried $6,300 in credit card debt at an average interest rate of 21.47%. Uh, that average includes anyone who doesn't actually have credit card debt. So if you average it, if you look at just who does have it, it's even more than that on average. When you add also in personal loan balances, which are like credit cards, student loan, auto loans, 
Again, including those who don't have debt, the average is about $17,000 per American. And then you throw in home equity lines of credit, which often are taken out for consumable goods. That's about $43,000 per American. Now, not all debt is bad, but this kind of debt can be very bad and can lead to a misuse of God's resources in our lives. So we can be like those folks in the post-exilic Israel. We, we can have debts to pay, mortgages to pay, lots of children to take care of, so, so we don't give. We can't give, we say. I, I've got to pay this debt. It would be ungodly of me to fall behind on this debt to give to the house of God, we say. We might say. We wrongly would say. Well, listen, Karen and I have been there. We, there was a time in our marriage when we had way too much consumer debt. Twelve months, same as cash, is very alluring when you want that new sofa or something for your kitchen. It adds up fast. We had debt we couldn't get ahead of for quite a while. I will say that that we never fail to give 10% of our income to the church, even in that time. But it was not a good place to be. If you find yourself in that position, do what we did. Get some help. Get some help organizing your finances. Get some help reordering your priorities. We can help you. There are resources. People here in the church who've walked through this can help you. I will help you. Just come talk to me. We'll help you. So we have some folks that say, I can't give because I, mm, I got too many kids, I got too much mortgage, I got too much going on, I can't, I'll give a, I'll give a tip, I'll give something, but I, tithe, 10%, multiply fund, I'll get about it. Some folks are like that, or we can become like a rich man in Jesus' parable. Even though we're doing well, we might not be rich toward God. We have other things we want to do with our money. Jesus delights in his church, but we delight in other things. To various reasons, we can say, it's not time to give to the house of the Lord. Even more so when we're talking about something like the multiply fund. Again, the multiply fund not on the same level as the house of Israel, on the same level as tithing, but it's similar in some ways. The Lord is saying to us, what he has said to them Consider your ways, go to the hills, bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. I did now <laughs> I, I just can't get past this. It's amazing among all the prophets of the Old Testament that people actually listen to Haggai. And one month after the prophecy, they began to build a house again. Literally a month later. They had started again, even though Artaxerxes had forbidden it, even though they didn't know where the funds were coming from, even though their own houses were in need. Chapters 1, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, you can look at it in the Bible if you want to, say this, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, 
the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. Their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. All the laxes at 9 o'clock in the morning. It's like, that's when it happened. One month later. And although their hearts were stirred, the people had begun to build, still had questions. Still had questions. So point number two is type. Point number two is type. Is this going to be the right type of temple? The right kind of house? Look in your Bibles with me at Haggai chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 5. So here we are. Haggai with his precision, the exact day, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, speak now to, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, O ye people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you. And when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. But now a month after they'd started back to work, there was still division among the people over what the building should be like. And Haggai here is referring to what's actually recorded in the book of Ezra. And here's what, here's what it says. I'll read it to you. It's like it, he, uh, Ezra 3, 10 through 13. When they laid the foundation of the temple, not everyone was happy about it. And here's what, here's what Ezra 3, 10 says. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house, the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. But many shouted, with joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. And so you've got these old men who are who are looking at this pitiful small temple and just weeping. What? Can't be like this. And these other young men, oh yes. Expectations are funny things, right? Expectations can be precursors to faith, or they can be barriers to faith. The old men had seen the glorious Temple of Solomon. It was the wonder of the ancient world. The Temple of Solomon was a glory to the people of Israel. Now, just seeing the foundation, pitifully small by comparison, the old men wept. They wept for the past glories of the temple. This new generation never knew. On the other hand, the young men shouted for joy. 
This was their temple. This was their time. This was their glories that were being built up. The people were divided. Perhaps the young men scorned the old men. The old, gray, baldy old men. Perhaps the old men patronized the young men. Now you guys don't know anything. You're just a bunch of young kids. They were divided. When it comes to our building, the house of the Lord, we are looking for, we can have, well, we can have some of the same kind of questions. What type of building is it even going to be like? We could wonder after six years. What if I don't like it? Frankly, I wonder that myself. (laughs) We go look at buildings and I think, oh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, this would work. I mean, what I had in mind, but yeah, it would work. So So those are real things. What what if I don't like where it's located? I've been given and I I thought I was going to be here and y'all going to have it over there. What if I don't like that? I mean, those are natural things to think about. But as we process these questions, the attitude of our hearts is very important. Whatever an action the prophet called the people of Israel to do, the more important thing was actually that they would have a change of heart. The Lord showed Haggai that even now, even though they had begun to build, the people were divided. And we know a divided house will fall. And so Haggai goes on. Now, in chapter 2, verse 6 through 9, Haggai gets to the central point. It's not about the building, actually. Look in your Bible, chapter 2, verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations. So the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord, and the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord. Of host. The Lord is saying to Haggai, through Haggai to the people of Israel, listen, you're focused on the wrong things. You're looking at buildings and locations and money, but I'm looking at a world that is lost. I'm looking at my plan from eternity past to fill the earth with the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. You think it's about the work of your head. This is about my glory and the consummation of Christ when all things come together and point to God and point to Christ when every tear is washed away and we're with Christ. That's what that temple pointed to and that's what it was all about. When Haggai prophesied the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. God was not talking about a building. He was talking about Christ. Jesus himself. 
that's how Haggai, although he was addressing the people of Israel in that time in a very real way that they listened to and obeyed, he was pointing to Christ in the New Testament. Like we see in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 2. I'll just read to you, John 2, 13 through 22. This is an amazing moment. It's a very poignant and powerful moment. Confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. Chapter 2, verse 12, 13 says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And he made a whip of cords. And he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. Three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple that was his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this. They believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus was furious with what the Jews had done with the temple. Oh yes, oh yes, Jesus, gentle and lowly. But when God's glory is at stake for the purpose of his house, we see Jesus in the court jerking knots in leather and making a whip with which he was going to inflict pain on those people who were desecrating and misusing and misunderstanding and breaking the image of the representation of that temple for the purposes of God. Now listen, Jesus was not really concerned about the building. In fact, in 60, mu- 60 years, he was going to tear it down by the hand of the Romans. It was not the building. Jesus was concerned with his glory. Jesus was thinking about what the temple represented. Jesus himself would become the temple, and we, his church, are built into him, and we become part of the temple of God, the place where men and women meet the living God. Here's how Peter describes it, 1 Peter chapter 2. As you came to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen, precious. You yourselves are like living stones, and you're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what he was talking about. That's the latter glory that would be greater than the former glory. 
So yes, yes, we believe that God has a new building for us somewhere, somehow, but it's not really about the building. It's about the harvest. It's about lives being reached and saved and transformed and the gospel being preached and people being saved and raised up and sent out and churches planted. They'll plant churches and on and on and on until Christ returned and consumed everything in himself. That's the vision. That's what's important. But all that is not easy. Doesn't happen automatically. Much sacrifice. That's why three times God exhorted the people through Haggai to be strong. Look at your Bibles, chapter 2, verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work for I am with you according to the covenant that I've made with you. Listen, be strong, covenant of grace church. Be strong in the calling to which God has called you. Live for God. Preach the gospel. Raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Prepare for the future. Be strong. Rise up and build. Ultimately, it's not about the building. It's about the harvest and the consummation of all things in Christ. Covenant of grace. Arise and build. Now, these people, the book of Haggai, were wonderfully responsive to the word of the Lord from Haggai. But they, they still had some questions. People had accepted what, that it was right. It was the right time to build. They had adjusted their expectations to embrace the building God had planned. But when would they begin to see the blessings of obedience? When they get the title, so to speak, of what had been promised, they, they had suffered because they disobeyed, now they were obeying, when would the blessing begin? Point number three, title. Title. When will they receive the title of their inheritance, the title to take possession of the promises? So again, in chapter 2, Haggai poses questions to teach us. He asked something kind of complicated. I'll just explain it to you than reading it. He first asked the priest, he says, if something holy were to touch something unclean, would it make it pure? And they said no. And that's right, it wouldn't. Then he asked the priest, okay, if something unclean touches something holy, would it become unclean? And they said yes, and then it would. And that was right. If the unholy touches the holy, whatever it touches would become unholy and unclean. The people were unclean. They touched the building. They needed to repent and change is what the message was. But we see here the weakness of the Old Testament promises. The sacrifices that God had put in through Moses could cover sin, but could not take it away. But Hebrews 10.4 tells us, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But Jesus changed everything. Remember when the woman 
with an issue of blood for 11 years, unclean for 11 years, unable to enter in the temple of God or the synagogue for 10, for 11 years, and she comes and touches Christ, anyone that she touched immediately become unclean, but when she touched Christ, Christ doesn't become unclean. She became clean, and she became whole. Christ transforms. When you touch Christ, you are transformed. You're no longer. Your uncleanness touches cleanness, and you are made clean and made holy through Christ. The power of an understood life made that poor woman whole and clean. If you have struggled to believe in Christ... You see your sin holding you back from knowing Christ. Know that Jesus died for your sins once and for all. And the holy life he lived on earth, never having sinned, gives to you through faith by grace. Haggai goes on to explain that they hadn't taken possession of the title blessing yet due to their uncleanness. However, that's going to change Look back in your Bibles, Haggai 2, 18 and 19. 2, 18 and 19. Prophesying, he continues to say, Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? No. Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive oil have yielded nothing but from this day on, I will bless you. Listen, your life may look like a mess. It may look like it will never change. And God may be, right now, putting his finger on something unclean in your life. And he's calling you to repent. That's what they did. They heard God's word and they repented and believed. If God's putting that on your heart, I urge you to repent and believe. To abandon, to leave your sin, to get help. Respond to him. Because from the day you give your life to Christ by faith, from the day that day on, he will bless you and transform you and give you the title to your inheritance. And that's kind of like it's what it's like with our building. We don't have the title yet. We don't even know what it's going to look like, where it's going to be, but we do know Jesus. We remain faithful and united. He will get us to where we need to be. Can you say amen? Well, let's finish up. Later that same day, God gave Haggai one more prophecy. It must have been, imagine how exhilarating it was to experience God speaking to them in the moment, what they were going through. So later that same day, he has another prophecy, but God changes the metaphor from the temple to a throne and a ring. Look with me. Conclusion at uh, Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. 
speak to, to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and the riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brothers. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So a couple of fascinating things. Haggai prophesied about the treasures of all the nations coming in. The funding was exactly what happened when the court case was settled. Darius sent the money. He prophesied that. Haggai also points ahead to the certainty of God providing for his work in every age. Including our age. Including our church. God will provide More importantly, here in verse 21 and earlier, verse 6, God says he's going to shake the heavens and the earth. Hebrews 12 quotes Haggai to point us to God's unshakable kingdom where Christ rules on the throne of David. And he exchanges all the thrones of the world for the throne where Christ sits eternally. And Christ will overthrow every throne and rule of man and one day establish his throne over all. Rubabel, then is a type and a foreshadowing of Christ. Interestingly, fascinatingly, Rubabel is, is uh, in both lines of Christ in Matthew and Luke. He is a forefather of Christ in both of those genealogies. And he points to Christ. He is God's signet ring. You probably know, right, and used to happen all the time, that when a document or a letter was sent, an important one especially, they would melt hot wax and put it on there and seal it, and then the king would put his signet ring in there, his image would be pressed into it. So it is with us. <laughs> when we give our lives to Christ through faith by grace, grace by faith, it takes our hot mess, It makes a hot wax and then presses the image of Christ on us. And this building becomes like God's post office where he makes us his letters that he sends out to a lost and dying world. That's the reason for the house. Press Christ's image on us and send us out to a lost and dying world. Because Christ conquered over all, rules and reigns from his throne over all creation, church, we can arise and build. Would you pray with me? Hmm. Lord, we are not our own. You melt us. You melt our 
fleshly desires. You melt our sinful tendencies. You melt our self-reliance. You melt our, our independent agendas. And you press your image into us. And you make us your own for your purposes. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that transforms us. Father, we pray that through your word and through your spirit and by your spirit, you would make us one. Lord, we long to be one. One is you and the Father are one. One, Lord, in heart with your purposes. Of the many one, Lord, we are diverse in many ways. To make us one, we pray. Unite us in heart and mission. And Lord, we do ask, provide us with a better building so we can reap a better harvest until you return. In Jesus' name. Amen.